0: Rocky Peak, great to see you. My name's Michael, I'm one of the pastors, and if it's your very first time here, a special welcome. I look forward to meeting you uh, personally. We're going to go into our time of teaching right now, but before we do, just a quick announcement. Probably most of you are aware, maybe some of you are not, that last Thursday, at the end of the day, the county of LA announced that they were going to reinstate the uh, the mask mandate. I'm sure you're all excited about that. Um, and uh, and so, of course, this this you know this created. Uh, a, a decision thing for us. Like, what are we going to do as a church with that? And so I wanted to wait because they promised on Thursday in their written thing that on Friday they would come out with their, their public orders. And so I was really waiting to see, like, what does that actually say? And that wasn't posted till, like, the end of the day on uh, Thursday. So I finally got it. You know, what it says is that, you know, regardless of whether you're vaccinated or not, in all uh, what they call it, indoor public settings, um, right? You're supposed to wear a mask. Uh, and they, they, I think intentionally, it doesn't say anything about uh, houses of worship or, or churches. My my hunches they're getting tired of losing in the Supreme Court. Um, and so they didn't that. But anyway, uh, as a church, you know, we had to decide, like, what do we do? What's the right thing to do? Um, and uh, and so uh, we really didn't have time to process it as elders, you know. And so we we just decided, well, this weekend we're just going to go on as normal this weekend, and then we're going to meet this week at our normal meeting and talk about what the thing do. I've got to tell you, for me, this is incredibly frustrating. Uh, it's uh, it it just feels like. Um, I'm just extremely disappointed, I guess, with this. It feels like, hey, we're in such a different spot than we were like a year ago in terms of the dangers. We, we know what the dangers are, who the dangers are to, uh, that, uh, you know, according to the, the stats, uh, almost 70% of, uh, of L.A. County, 69%, have received vaccinations, uh, at least one uh, vaccination, and so it just really seems like like personally, I'm super frustrated with this. Um, but of course, the issue is not how Michael feels about this. <laughs> the issue is what does Jesus want us to do as, as a church? And there's this complicated things, you know, our relationship with the authorities, what the Bible calls us to do, uh, at what point, you know, is, is it appropriate to say, hey, enough is enough. And and so we're just going to be going before the Lord and uh, seeking his counsel on that. And, and that's really going to be our desire to say, Jesus, not what, what do I want, but what, what do you want? So I would just encourage you to be praying for us this week as we, we meet to seek the Lord on that and uh, try to discern the best we can understand his, his calling for our church. And I think it's just a great opportunity, too, for, for us to remember. You know, one of the, our culture has become so polarized over these issues like Mass and vaccinations and so on, you know, as followers of jesus we 're just called to rise above that you know it 's like like in the body of christ we 're told that in these secondary issues we're to love and respect one another, even if we think the other person is wrong and I think as followers of Jesus, we have to set the pace for this, like we, we have to do this, and so like whichever way we go there 'll probably be opinions out there you know you 'll probably have opinions whether we made the right decision or the wrong one, but uh, but I think as a church, as we relate to one another, our calling is to love, uh, accept, uh, one other, even if we think that the other person's dead wrong. Amen? That This is our calling. And, and really, as a church, we have to set the pace for this for a culture that has forgot how to agree to disagree. Amen? So I uh, appreciate your prayers for that. But we're going to go into our time and teaching uh, right now. Inside your program is a, a message note sheet. Uh, and uh, if you haven't pulled that out, be sure to do that. You'll, you'll definitely need it today. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then we're going to jump in. Let's pray together. So, Father, we're just so thankful to be here, your people, uh, your house, uh, under the leadership of your spirit. And, Lord, we just want to acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here. And Father, you promised that he would be our teacher, our leader, our mentor, our guide, that he would bring to mind the things that Jesus had said. He would make them come alive to us so we would be able to follow. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that today you would do that. You'd be our teacher. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, our story starts today early in the morning. Um, the, uh, the sun has not even come up outside and uh, his teammates are asleep, um, but he wants to get off and spend some time by himself. And so while they're sleeping, he sneaks out and, and heads out uh, to a uh, kind of area outside of town. And uh, the, these times alone for him have become increasingly important over the last few weeks, uh, last few months. His life has gotten busier. Uh, they're an important time for him to remember who he is and what this mission is about, what his priorities need to be. And he knows as, as things are heating up that the next few months are going to get nothing but busier. And, uh, and he knows that, that these times alone are going to be a key to his success and to not only remembering who he is and the mission that he's on, but, but also to resist the temptations that naturally come with the role he's playing. And so as he's, he's, he's there in the early morning hours, the sun is now beginning to come up, and he looks in the distance, and he sees one of his top recruits coming towards him um, in, in, the, in the dawn sky, uh, come, coming from the distance. And uh, he takes this as his signal. You know, his time's, time's up. Uh, today is the first day of a brand new week, and um, he needs to head back, hack back to town and to re-engage. And so... Uh, when his, when his recruit gets there, uh, they make this decision, and they, they head back to town together. Well, today, we are continuing the series that we've been in the last few, few I was going to say few months, actually many months, about six months, uh, that is called Signs, the Path to Life. And if you're brand new, welcome. Every week, we have new people here. And, and so this is a series about Jesus. It's an in-depth look at the life and teaching of Jesus as, uh, as described and documented by one of his closest followers and friends, a man that we call John or the Apostle John. And so uh, if you've been here the last few weeks, we've watched as Jesus has, has taken his men from the north of the country, from the Galilee, where he's grown up, where his uh, headquarters for his ministry are. And they've traveled south for one of the three great annual pilgrim feasts that that happens in Jerusalem. People come from all over the world to worship and remember what God's done. It's called the Festival or the Feast of Tabernacles. It happens every fall, usually about in October. And so while he's there uh, in, in Jerusalem, the city's packed with pilgrims, uh, Jesus has been teaching at the temple on several different days, and he's been making some amazing huge claims about who he is and why he's come. And as a result, he's, he's been very divisive. It's, uh, 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 some are for him, some are against him. Some thinks he's a good man, some thinks he's a false prophet, very divided, but the leaders are pretty much convinced he, he's bad news. And so they've made the decision. In fact, they've already tried once this week to arrest him unsuccessfully. And so as we step into this passage today, this is a scene we're stepping into. Once again, to the best of our knowledge, we're at the temple. Once again, Jesus is teaching. So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up, and let's turn to John chapter 8. And there in your note sheet is a section called Signs, the Solemn Warning. So this is a scene we're stepping into, this temple scene, at least best we know, and um, verse 21, once more, Jesus said to them, so John's going to say, so here's another one of Jesus' teachings, one of his, um, kind of one of his uh, uh, encounters with the crowd. And he says, once more, he said to, they, said to them, I am going away, and y'all are going to look for me, um, and you're going to die in your sin, because where I go, you cannot come, right? So this is the second time this week that Jesus said something like this. If you were to go back earlier in this week, in chapter 7, verse 33, he said something similar. He said, I am going to be leaving. Uh, you're going to look for me, and you can't find me. Uh, I, uh, I'm going to be kind of returning to the one who sent me. And, and he said uh, that you're, you're not going to be able to come with me. So it's the second time he said this. So, of course, what Jesus is referring to is he's going to be returning to his Father in heaven. But, of course, they're not really following that. So that at that point, back earlier in the week when Jesus had first said this, Um, their theory was, they're trying to figure out what he's talking about, and their theory was, hey, I think maybe what he means is he's going to be leaving the land of Israel, leaving Palestine. He's going to be going out into the Roman Empire to share his message with, with Jews scattered throughout the Roman Empire, what we call the Diaspora, uh, but uh, uh, they didn't really know. So so now later in the week, he's bringing up this issue again. Once again, he says he's, he's gonna be leaving, they can't follow, but this time he's raising the ante because he says not only is he gonna leave, not only they can't follow, but because they can't follow, they're gonna die in their sins. A very solemn warning. Uh, now he's gonna explain why that is in just a minute, but he's, he's telling them that that not only cannot follow, not only are they not gonna find him, but they're gonna be eternally, lo- they're not gonna be part of the coming kingdom of God that's coming. Uh, they're gonna die in their sins. And so in verse 22, uh, th- this is gonna lead them to come up with another theory, right? Well, if he's not going to the diaspora, uh, maybe this is an idea. So the, this made the Jews ask, well, will he go and kill himself? Right? So they're trying to figure out well, this kind of veiled language enigmatic language of where's he going? Why can't we follow? Um, And and so their new theory is maybe he's gonna kill himself. That's what he's talking about. Um, And so he says, is that why he says, where I go you cannot come? Uh, But he continued, he said, listen, you're, you're from below. I'm from above. You're from this world. I'm not from this world. Now, I told you that you would die in your sins. He says, and this is why, if you do not believe that I am he. Now, in the Greek, it actually says I am. So if you don't believe that I am, then you will die in your sins. And so this leads him to ask the next question. um, Well, who are you? And Jesus says, well, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. So remember, at this point in the gospel, Jesus has been coming to Jerusalem for these festivals for the last couple of years. Uh, for example, back in chapter 2, the very first time we see him go to Jerusalem is for the Passover. It's when he cleansed the temple. And you remember... Afterwards, they said, what sign or authority can you give that you have the authority to do what you're doing? And he said, here's the sign, destroy this temple, and I will rebuild it in three days. Remember that? Whatever, they didn't follow him, but it's a pretty huge claim. Uh, Secondly, uh, in John chapter 5, when he came for a festival, the next festival, uh, that he healed the man who had been lame for 38 years. And they were upset with him because he healed them on the Sabbath. And he said, well, what do you think? I'm just doing this on my own. I'm only doing what my father shows me to do. So remember that John says, so he, he was claiming God as his father, making himself equal to God. Later in that same passage in John chapter 5, he, he makes two claims to be able to do something that only God can do. He says, at the end of time, the entire human race, he will rise him from the dead. And secondly, that every one of us will go one-on-one with Jesus and he will determine our eternal destiny, things only God can do. Uh, We got to chapter 7, this Feast of Tabernacles that we're we're, we're at right now. Uh, Earlier in the week, he said, whoever believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then last week, we we saw that he made this claim, I am the light of the world. Not a light, but the light. So they're saying, like, who are you? And he says, like, have you been paying attention? Right? He said, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. And he says, I have much more to say in judgment on you. And so uh, he just told them that, that they can't follow him. They're going to die in their sins because they don't believe that he is the one he claims to be. He says, I've got a lot more to say about you. He says, but he who sent me is trustworthy and what I've heard from him, I tell the world. And so this is something that we've seen Jesus say over and over again. He keeps coming come back to it. His teaching is not his own. His message is not his own. When he makes claims about who he is or the path to life or who they are, this is not his personal opinion. He is just speaking for the Father. And so uh, in 27, it says, But they didn't understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man. So he's referring here to his crucifixion. Um, the, the Apostle John, when he writes, he loves to use double entendre to, to make a statement that has kind of like a couple meanings, like one level of meaning and another. And, and this is a great example that in about six months from now, remember this is in October, in six months from now, in uh, about in, in March, in the spring, Jesus is going to be crucified. He's going to be lifted up on a Roman cross. So he says, hey, in about six months, it, you know, I'm going to be lifted up. But, of course, in John's mind, was we, we'll see as we go through the Gospel of John, when he talks about Jesus being lifted up, it's, not, it's like lifted up on the cross, but it's through that cross he's going to be lifted up to glory, to be worshipped as, as a true king. And so he says... Um, he says when i 'm lifted up, when that happens, he said uh, when you 've lifted up the Son of Man, then you know, at that point in time, you will know that I am again in Greek I am, and that I do nothing on my own. you know underline that, keep saying that, but I speak just as the Father has taught me what we were just talking about, so this is an interesting prophecy because what Jesus is saying is that you don't really understand who I am now, but at least for some of you, uh, when I'm lifted up, you know, both on the cross and then in glory, for, for some of you, the light bulbs, the light's going to go on. And this is an interesting prophecy because, remember, it's October. Uh, six months from now, Jesus will be lifted up on the cross and then return to the Father, lifted up in glory. Uh, and if you remember, 10 days after Jesus ascends into heaven, He's going to pour out his spirit on, uh, in Jerusalem as Peter gets up to preach his very first message right in the same temple area where Jesus is teaching. And if you remember in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people will realize that day that they've crucified the Messiah and they will repent of that, and they'll receive the Holy Spirit, and the movement of Jesus will start. So Jesus says, you don't realize who I am now, but when I'm lifted up, I'm gonna draw all men to myself. Like all men, all Jews and Gentiles, right? going like he's gonna, he's, gonna, he's gonna pull the whole world to himself. And so he goes on, and he says, verse 29, he makes this powerful statement, the one who sent me, Of course, his father is with me. Uh, He's not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. And I'd love you to underline that. I always do what pleases. We're going to come back today. So uh, then John says, even as he spoke, many believed in him. And so earlier in chapter 7, we saw the crowd was divided. But at one point, John said that earlier in the week, some were starting to believe in him. But here he says, many more began to believe in him. Now, in what sense they believed? Uh, how deep was that, that belief, and so on. We'll come back to that next week. But for today, this is going, we're going to stop here. And what I want to do today is focus on this amazing statement Jesus makes that uh, the Father is always with him, always working through in him and through him because he always does what pleases him. So there in your note sheet, what I want to do today is uh, a couple of things. Um, I want to start by laying out a couple big-picture principles about who Jesus is and, and kind of his vision for our life based on this teaching of Jesus today, and then come back at the end and ask a couple important questions as we apply it, uh, the principles to our life. All right, so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Signs, The Priority of Passion. So let's jump in. So here's the first thing that stands out, fairly obvious uh, as you go through this passage, but that Jesus' top, or Jesus' deep, deepest pe- uh, passion is to please his Father. That as we saw today, that his, his deepest passion, now this is something that we've seen all through the Gospel of John, um, but we see it again today. So there in your note sheet, first verse, you see a lot of verses, but the first verse it's just the statement we just read that the one who sent me is with me, He has not left me alone, for I what? Always do what pleases. Let's say it together. I always do what pleases him." He says, so so Jesus makes this statement, "Hey, the Father is always with me, working in me, working through me. Uh, that's why I have this power to do what I'm doing. The Father He's always with me, and the reason is, is because I always do what please it's an amazing statement. Now, what I want you to catch is, is I don't know if you remember this, but uh, way back when we started this series, like 2015, way back there, that I think it was the first week, it was one of the first two weeks, but I think it was the first week that I told you that, that when, I, when I was younger, for sure, the Gospel of John was my favorite gospel. And the reason for that is because in the Gospel of John, we not only find, we not only watch, kind of what, learn what Jesus did and what he taught, we learn who Jesus is. Right? We, we get a window. It's like in the Gospel of John, uh, John pulls back the curtains on the heart of Jesus and we see what drives him, what motivates him. And, and what we've seen from day one is that for Jesus, his top priority in life, what I would call his His deepest passion, his highest priority is to know, to love, and to please his Father. This is is the heart of Jesus. Now, as we've gone through this study, we've seen this time and time again, but I think When you go through the series slowly like this, it's easy to miss how important this is. Like if you were to go home this afternoon and you were to read through the Gospel of John just straight, hour or two, whatever it takes, I think this would really jump out at you. But when when we break it down slowly, it's easy to miss it over time. And so what I want to do today is I want to do a quick flyby of the Gospel of John. And I want to highlight seven scenes, seven times where Jesus makes a similar statement. We get a window into his heart, his soul, his passion. And so, there on your note sheet, you've got a series of verses. What I'm going to do is just quickly run through them, set the stage. Here's the scene, here's what he says. Uh, and we'll just and so we can pick up on this. So the first the first passage is in John chapter four. So if you're here for that, you'll remember this is a passage where Jesus encounters the this Samaritan woman at the well. This woman with a very kind of checkered sexual past. Uh, And Jesus offers her this water of life. And she's so excited, remember, she leaves her jar there, heads into town to tell everyone, you got to come meet this guy. In the meantime, Jesus' disciples come back. They've brought the food that he told them to get because he's hungry. But when he gets there, he says, I'm not hungry anymore. And they're, like, confused, like, did someone bring him something to eat? And this is what Jesus said. He says, my food, in other words, that which sustains me, that which energizes me, that which fuels me my life. He said, "My food, what I live on, is to do the will of him who sent me, and then to under, and then I want you to underline this, and to finish his work." Right. So, so for Jesus, he says, "I wake up every day. This is what fuels me." He said, I, I, I'm not hungry anymore because I just had this amazing conversation with this woman. I'm excited with what, what my father's doing in her life. And, and this is why I've come. And so I, I can eat later. I'm, I'm not even hungry right now. Right? So this is his fuel to find out the father's will and then to, to do it. The second scene is in John chapter 5. So this, this scene... Um, is where Jesus has just healed the man who's been lame for 38 years, but he doesn't remember on a Sabbath, and so the religious leaders are upset. And so afterwards, he says, what do you think? I'm just making this stuff as I go, like I'm doing this on my own. He said, I'm only doing what the Father shows me to do. And so this is what he says in John chapter five. He said, very truly, and this is one of those amen, amen, I tell you, the Son can do what? Nothing by himself. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, he can only do what he sees his father doing. And so it's this picture, again, of of like a young son who's watching his father, kind of apprenticing to his father with the family trade, and just imitating his father, just doing what his father is doing. He said, because whatever the father does is what the son does. This is his passion. I do nothing on my own. I just do what the father shows me. Third, third passage, John 6. The scene is Jesus has just, the day before, fed the 5,000. They're following after him, and he says this. He says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, my agenda, but to do the will of him who sent me. This is my passion. Fourth, Fourth scene, John 7. This is earlier in the same week we've been talking about, the week of tabernacles, Festival of Tabernacles, and Jesus has been teaching, and earlier in the week, the crowds are blown away, because his teaching is amazing, he's so brilliant, he's so bright, and, and they can't figure out, how did this guy get this amazing teaching when he's never been schooled by the rabbis, he's never really gone through that kind of formal training, and Jesus says, listen, my teaching is not my own. We see it there again. It comes from the one who sent me. Now, whoever speaks on their own, like a teacher that rises up, kind of has their own agenda, whoever speaks on their own, they do so to gain personal glory. That's what's driving them. But then talking about himself, but he says, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him, talking about himself, he is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. So Jesus says, hey, this teaching that I'm bringing, it's not my own. It's from my father. It's what he's given me to say. I'm not here to seek, make a great name for myself. I'm here to seek his glory. Fifth scene, John 12. This is the last week of his life. He's about to be arrested, so he's coming to the end of his public ministry. This is one of the last things he'll say to the crowds. And so he says, he says to the crowds, I did not speak on my own accord. All this teaching I've given you the last few years, I didn't speak on my own accord. But the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. And then we move on to the sixth passage, John chapter 14. Now the scene here is where Jesus, uh, he's in the, uh, in the upper room, uh, it's the last night of his life before he's arrested, time is running out, his disciples are bummed, he's leaving, they're really discouraged, but he knows he doesn't have much more time with them before he's going to be arrested that night. And so he says, I will, I, I, I will not say much more to you, his disciples, for the prince of this world, and that's of course a reference to Satan, prince of this world is coming, like he's coming after me, um, and he has no hold over me, he's he's got nothing on me. He says, but he comes so that the world may learn that I what? I love the Father. He says this whole thing that's about to unfold, this arrest, these beatings, this death, he says that I am going through this obedience, the whole world's going to know that I love the Father. I do exactly what my Father has commanded me to do. Right? And then the last passage is in John 17. Later that same evening, Jesus is praying. It He soon will be arrested. And he's come to the end of his public ministry. Now, he's kind of finished the work that the Father has given him to do. And so he says, Father, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now, I want you to compare that verse with the first verse of the flyby, John 4. The very beginning of his ministry, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to carry out his work. The last thing he says is, Father, I finished the work that you've given me to do. I brought glory to you. And what we see is in John, this amazing window into the heart of Jesus, his top passion in life is to know to love and to please his father this is what drives him this is his food this is his highest value this is his first love but what we learn today is kind of uh kind of takes the next step of that journey and I put this verse there in your note sheet the very last verse this is a verse of course from our passage today look what he says the one who sent me is with me he's not left me alone for I always do now, in the Bible, this term of God being with a person is a powerful term, right? That God was with Moses, God was with Joshua, that he's with David. It's a powerful term. And Jesus says, hey, the reason the Father is so present in my life, the reason I live in the presence of the Father, the reason he's working in me so powerfully, working through me, is because the passion of my heart is to know to love and to please my father. There's a connection between his relationship with the father and this heart that lives to please the father. He'll say something very similar in chapter 15 when we get there, and he's going to say, hey, and it works the same for you and me as it works for me and my father, right? Now, so, so that's where we're going to start, right? That I want you to just get, start with just get clear on this. This is his passion. This is who Jesus is, his deepest passion, his highest priority, his first love, is to know, to love, and to please the Father. That drives him. That's the deepest passion of his life. Okay, that's where we're going to begin. Number two, the the second principle is that Jesus came to restore this passion. Talking about in our lives, this is why Jesus has come to restore this passion. So, Throughout the Gospel of John, we have seen this over and over again, that Jesus has come to give us life, right? And he he calls this eternal life, which, remember, is not so much like length of days. It's it's length of days, for sure. They'll last forever. But it's so much more than that. It's, It's this new quality of life, this life that we are created to live. And remember, he's used all these different metaphors to describe this life. He's talked about the living water that satisfies the deepest thirst of the human heart. He's talked about the bread of life that satisfies the deepest hunger of the human soul. He's talked about the light of life that shows, lights up our life, shows us a path to this new life. But what we're going to see is at the heart of this, at the heart of this new life that we were created to live is this new relationship with God, where we are transformed into where our heart is like Jesus' heart to where the deepest passion of our life is the deepest passion of his life, that we are transformed. So instead of kind of running after other gods, that we would be transformed so our heart would be like the heart of Jesus, that our deepest passion, our highest priority would be to know, to love, and to please him as it was for him of the Father. And so Jesus has come to forgive us of our sins, yes, Because without the atonement of Jesus, without the forgiveness of Jesus won through the cross, there can be no relationship. But that's not where the story ends. That he's not just come to make us right with God. He's come to restore us to be the people we are created to be. And that people is a people that, that run on a passion for the Father. Now, it's interesting because if you stop and think about this, this makes so much sense because remember how Jesus was once asked, hey, of all the commandments in the law, and there are 613 of them, What, which one is the most important? And Jesus didn't hesitate. He said, this is it. He quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6. He said, God's top priority for your life is what? What did he say? You would love the Lord your God. Then what, how, how are we to love him? all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. That's what we see in Jesus. You see, in Jesus, we see what that looks like. He is like, he's the image of the invisible God. He is the perfect man. He is modeling for us. This is how you were created. And catch this, it's this relationship with the Father, this relationship with Jesus that goes to the heart of our calling of being a follower. This is why here at Rocky Peak, that our vision is to unleash a movement of bored, (laughs) apathetic. (laughs) No, no, no. Wait, that's wrong. That's wrong. That was the first draft. Sorry. (laughs) To unleash a movement of what? Passion. Because this is Jesus' vision for our life. He's come not just to forgive us, but to restore this relationship with God that. At the core of that relationship, at the core of our lives, is a transformed heart where our heart beats with Jesus' heart that our number one passion is to know him, to please him, and to love him. It's interesting because in that prayer in John 17, as Jesus is praying to the Father, look what he says he says, this is eternal life, right? So this is, this is the life he's been talking about all through the gospel. Water of life, bread of life, light of life, and the resurrection and the life. I've come to bring you life. I mean, it's over and over. New birth. He says, this is eternal life. This is essence that they may What? They may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you said. This is the core of this new life. This new life that satisfies the deepest thirst of you human. At the heart of that is a passion to know, to love, and to please him, right? So there are many other loves in our life, but there's one love that rules them all. And that's a love for Jesus, for his will. It's our deepest passion. It's who you and I are created to be. So, okay, so so we've laid out the the groundwork, right? So we've laid it out. Uh, First of all, we've seen that Jesus' deepest passion was to please his Father. Uh, Now we've seen that that his vision for our life is to transform us, that we would be like him, that that passion would would, would rule our lives. So we're ready for a couple questions now. So there in your note note sheet is a section called Signs Two Key Questions. Now, I want to ask the first question, uh, it will not take as long to uh, spend on this question, but we're going to carry this question with us as we move into question two as well. We're gonna, so we're going to introduce the first one, and then we're going to combine it with the second one. So let's go in. So here's, here's the question, and this is no show of hands. I don't want anyone calling out something, um, something like that. This is just for you to think about. So here's the question. What's your deepest passion? So we've seen what Jesus Passion is. We've seen his vision for our lives is to restore us to be like him. But the question would be hey, to the best of your knowledge, what is your deepest passion? What drives you? What's the food that sustains you, energizes you, fuels you? What's your highest value? What do you live for if we could strip it all away? Now, this is not always easy to discern. And we often need the help of the Holy Spirit or certain life circumstances to reveal this to us. Often what we think is our highest, our deepest passion really isn't our deepest, it's really something else. And so we really need the Holy Spirit's help with this. But, but the question is, if you and I could go out to Starbucks together one-on-one and for whatever reason, you felt completely safe, and you felt not any need to impress me or uh, say the right answer, but for, for whatever, it, just in the, safe, in the safety of that relationship, then I would ask you, what is your deepest passion? What would you say? If, if we could somehow like pull back the curtain of your heart like we've pulled back the curtain on Jesus' heart, What would be your first love? What would be your deepest passion? What would be your highest priority? What drives you? So I just want to leave that question lingering there. All right? We're We're just going to leave it there. And then we're going to take that with us as we go on to the second question. Now, I want to give you the second question, but then I need to define a little bit what I mean by it. Just make sure we're all on the same page. So the the second question is, are you pursuing this passion? And by this passion, I mean your passion for Jesus, your passion for the Father, not not what we answered before, like what's your deepest, but that we've seen what Jesus' vision is for our life, that that we will be restored, that our our passion will become like his passion. Um, And so are you pursuing this passion for God in your life? Now, let's start with some basics. Uh, One of the things we see in this scripture over and over again, as fallen human beings, we cannot create a passion for God in our lives. I don't care how much you discipline yourself, how much you read the word, you fast, I don't care. It is impossible for us to create a passion for God in our lives. This has to be the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. You can't create it. I can't create it. Only the Holy Spirit can create this passion and transform a heart. So our heart is like Jesus. So like if you're feeling like, oh, I could never get there, I'm with you. Like, we can't get there. This is not something we can It's only, something only that the Holy Spirit can do. The, here, here's what I know about us as human beings. What the Bible teaches over again is that, is that as human beings, we have a natural tendency to substitute something in creation for the Creator. And to make that our God, to make that our idol that we believe that that, if we pursue that, it will satisfy the deepest longing of the human heart. We all do this. We all have this. Like, you have it, I have it. We all have, well, I've made different things we pursue, but we all have this natural tendency, even after we've come to Jesus, we all have this natural tendency to try to run after things that are something, often good things, in creation and make them the best thing. And, and to make them the ultimate value that we bow down to, we serve, that we pursue. Because deep in our heart, we believe they will bring us life with a capital L. Life with each of, Are you with me? They, we, if we achieve that, that will, so, so for example, uh, for some of us, this, this, looks, this takes a form of people. Like like for some of us, we believe if I just have the right person in my life, the right people, if I could just have the perfect romance, find the, the, the perfect uh, life partner, uh, if we could just have kids, if we could just have, if I could just have some friends um, that, uh, if, if we could have grandkids, whatever it is, that we, we, we take this thing of people and we believe that, hey, if I could just, boy, there's something missing in my heart. If I could just find the right person, they would complete me. You hear people say that. It's one of the biggest gods of our culture is the god of romance. If I find the right person, I will be complete. Uh, for other people, it's uh, it's the god of pleasure. And of course, when you, when you think of pleasure, you think of our culture, you think of a, a sexually promiscuous culture, you know, if I, if I just have enough sex or uh, sex with whomever I want or whatever, or we, we may think in terms of sort of a, uh, the, the drug life or the alcohol, the partying life, but, but I'm, I, I, pleasure would take in that, but pleasure would also take in just the good life, you know, that I'm just comfortable, uh, that I, I don't have any pain in my life. Um, that, that, uh, that just life is going well in the sense of pleasure. Uh, for some, it's the most possessions. We've all seen the bumper sticker, right? The, who, the one who dies with the most toys wins. And uh, I don't know if that's said in jest or for real, but, but we often tend to, to believe that. And we may not have analyzed this, but you look at our life, we're always running after the next possession, Uh, And we're we're just, maybe we haven't like stated this, but inside, if we could just have that house or we just could move out of state or we just own 40 acres or we just got to get a new car or we just, whatever the thing is, that our life, if, if you were asked like, what feeds you on a daily basis? Where do you draw your energy? That if we looked at our life, it's like, we're always trying to add the next possession. And that's kind of what fuels us. That's what keeps us going. Uh, for some people, it's uh, it's power. Like maybe you're a person like this. If so, you know it. Um, but uh, you know, think of the place where you work, and some people that they'll do whatever it takes to rise up in the organization. They will lie. They will cheat. They will n- manipulate. They they'll do whatever it takes. Just drive for that position of power. For some, it's a certain position or a certain accomplishment. Right? Like if, um, if we could just win the championship, if I could just be quarterback of the team, if I could just be head cheerleader, if I could just get straight A's, if I could just get in this college of my choice or whatever it is. Uh, for others of us, uh, there may be many more pursuits. Like we could go on and on, but you're following what I'm saying? That as fallen human beings, like the woman at the well, right? She's just like She's been married five times and she's currently living with her boyfriend. It would look from the outside that for her, she's, for her, it's it's that love. I can find the right man, right? But we could go through, uh, you know, in John chapter 6, it was the people running after Jesus to make him the bread king. If we just make him king, kick out the Romans, and he would just provide us free bread all the time, like Moses provided manna, life would be great, So we've seen it throughout the gospel of John, people running after the wrong things. And this is who you and I naturally are apart from Jesus. We run after, don't we? This is what we do. It's how we're wired. But here's what I want you to catch. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has a vision for your life. And the Holy Spirit is always working to lead you to the truth that's gonna set you free. And the truth that's gonna set you free is that you were created for a relationship with the creator. And there's nothing in creation that can satisfy the deepest need of the human heart for the creator. And so the Holy Spirit is always going to be leading you on what I call the path of passion. The Holy Spirit is always calling you to leave these other pursuits and to follow him. And as we listen and follow him, we will move forward on the path of passion and our passion for Jesus will increase. Now, we've already established that we cannot create this passion on our own. It's only the Holy Spirit can. But catch this, we do have a very important part to play. And that part to play is, as we often describe here at Rocky Peak, is to listen and follow what the Holy Spirit is calling us to take our next step. And this is what I want you to catch, that, that developing this passion for Jesus is as natural as that. You don't have to create on your own. You just have to take the next step because the Holy Spirit's always leading you in the path of passion. Because he knows that's gonna lead you to the life Jesus came to bring you. So you say, well, what does that look like? Well, sometimes this path of passion is gonna come to major crossroads, major decisions in your life. Times where the Holy Spirit uh, opens your eyes to see what is your deepest passion. And he reveals it to you, and it's something other than Jesus. And he's gonna ask you to surrender that to him. Now, sometimes that surrender is going to require an act of obedience. So, for example, let's say that your passion um, is to it, it, your passion is for a person, and the, you, you, you truly, if I could just get married and meet the, Maybe you're single and you're dating someone you know is not the right person. But you're in love and you just, you want to make it work. And so you're kind of ignoring what the Holy Spirit's telling you. And so for you, the Holy it may, may require, hey, an act of obedience, right? That you break off that relationship. You trust what the Holy Spirit is telling you. That his vision for your life is better than yours. This, this is a dead-end road that it will not satisfy you. It's like a woman at the well thing. It's not going to satisfy you. You need to trust me and break off this relationship and trust me to provide for your life. Uh, maybe you're uh, living with your boyfriend, you're living with your girlfriend, and the Holy Spirit's telling you, hey, this, this whole thing with sexual purity, you cannot have a passion for God when you're living in sexual immorality, right? So, so we need to surrender that area. So sometimes there'll be something very tangible for you to do, a step of obedience. But you know, many times, that it will simply be uh, a surrender in the sense of giving God permission to change your heart. So maybe maybe your God is popularity. And you you know it, that that what people think about you is the most important thing in your life. And you're always just doing whatever it takes to get people to like you. And and that's your God. And you feel like, Jesus, I can't change that. I I don't know how to change that. It's just this, this thing inside of me And so what he's going to ask you to do is is not to change that on your own, but he's going to ask you to give him permission to change your heart. And it might feel very scary for you. What will that be like if if I don't live that way? That's why I've lived my whole life, you know, and and maybe people are going to hate me then, and I'm just going to feel lost. And it's not going to be easy. But you're going to say, yes, Lord, I give you that permission to change my heart. Sometimes it's not big things. It's small things you either add or take away. You know, sometimes uh, the Holy Spirit's going to call you to a a new step. Like for some of you that that maybe like coming to church is sort of an occasional event in your life. And you enjoy it when you come and you always say, I should do it more, but it's just not, it's not a high priority. And the Holy Spirit is, he's going to say, hey, you need to make church a priority because this is where you hear me speak. It's where you encounter me and you can never develop a passion for me if we're not together. And so you need to be here. Maybe it's a, another uh, smaller step. Maybe it's, hey, you, you are like a lone ranger Christian. You have no community and, and you can't develop this passion for me on your own. I need you to be in fellowship. And so you need to join a small group where you can grow together. Maybe it's some, some, some spiritual discipline, or maybe it's a ministry for you to add, or who, who knows? But it's something he wants you to add. Sometimes it's something he wants you to take away. And you know, many times things that are getting in the way of our passion for Jesus are not necessarily bad things in and of themselves. There may be some things that are not sin in our life, and yet, Jesus knows they're getting in the way of developing the right passions. And so he's going to ask you to make some changes there. You know, as followers of Jesus, we need to start paying attention to something that's very important. We, we need to ask the question of our lives, what is it in my life that is increasing my passion for Jesus? What are those things that I do that increases my passion and what are the things that decrease my passion? And We need to not just say, hey, what is sin and what's not sin? We need to ask a bigger question. What increases my passion and what decreases my Are you with me? Like, like for example, like for, for some of you like shopping, it's not, man, it's not bad in itself. But it may be that your life revolves around shopping. And Jesus is going to say, you know what, we need to like, stop so much shopping, and we need to, do, to fill that time with some other things that will actually increase your passion. Now, now, let me be clear, these are not things we do on our own. These are something we just go to the Lord and say, hey, what do you want me to do? I, I, want, to receive, I, I want to grow in this passion, so what do I need to do? Like for some of you, like video games, not a bad thing. But for some of us, they become so overpowering in our life, the amount of time, the amount of energy. We'll we'll neglect family, we'll neglect friends, we'll neglect marriage, we'll neglect ministry because we're spending so much time online gaming. And it's not that video games are wrong, but if you ask Jesus, he's gonna say, this is diminishing your passion. And, and I need you to be investing your th- time in other things that will increase your passion. This will not lead you to life. This will not lead you to the life that I came to give you. Like, I know you love this, but it's not leading you where you think it's leading you. Now, like, I want to lead you to life, right? And so it can be so many different things. And the beautiful thing is we don't have to figure this out I believe if we just go before God with an honest heart and say, Jesus, I really want to be transformed. I I want to be like you. I want my deepest passion to be like yours. So would you shepherd me in this? I believe the Holy Spirit will show us. And he just said, one step at a time, he he will lead us on this path to passion because this is his vision for our life. It's why he came So there's so many different things, so many different areas that this could apply to. But I want to share one that that I want to highlight that I think is super important in our culture today. Um, It's one that we often talk about at Rocky Peak. But the reason we often talk about it is because, number one, it's so important. And number two, you often don't listen. So, you know, as followers of Jesus, have you ever noticed that sometimes you have to hear something 89 times before it sinks in? Have you noticed that? It's crazy that we can know something for years, right? And and yet we just don't listen. And sometimes it takes us a while to run after other gods to where we just get dissatisfied. And there's this beautiful convergence that happens when we're really getting dissatisfied with the dead-end gods that we're running after and the Holy Spirit's raising our awareness of this, new, of, of this new way of life. And there comes this beautiful tipping point where we say, Yes, I'm sick of running after other gods. And we hear it for the 89th time. And for whatever reason, it clicks. Right? And so I know we talked about this a but I think one of the most important things that we can do to nurture our passion for God is to develop our one on one regular rhythm of relationship. There's time in our life that's regular where we go before God, we read or listen to his word, we process our lives with him, we ask him if there's anything he wants to tell us, anything he wants to show us, we're we're radically honest, we uh, listen for the voice of his spirit, and we're refreshed. This is one of the most, and what, what i found is that in most Christ followers that are, that are growing Christ followers, that coming to church is, becomes a habit, small group becomes a habit, but this is the one leg of our three-legged stool we talked about that is the hardest. And yet it's one of the most important. In fact, I, I believe it's one of the keys to Jesus' success in his life. You know, today we started the day with this story of this man who wakes up early before his team kind of sneaks out, goes out to spend some time alone. His life is getting really busy. He realizes how important these times alone are for him to remind who he is, what his mission's about. He knows that life's going to be getting even busier and that to remember, even to resist the temptations that are unique to his role. Well, this is my account of a scene from Jesus' life. And we're told in Mark chapter one that when Jesus launched his public ministry in the north in the Galilee, it heated up very fast. And so he he heals a, a demoniac, uh, kind of frees a demonized man on, uh, on uh, a synagogue on, on a Saturday. and That night after the Sabbath is over, the whole town comes to him, bringing the sick, demonizing. He stays up late, you know, healing them. Um, but what's really interesting is that Mark says the next morning that while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he went out to pray, spend some time with his father. And, and that while he's there, that he see, looks in the distance and he sees Peter coming to tell him, hey, everyone's looking for you. And it's a signal, okay, it's time to, to get up. But what we see is that, that these times for Jesus become more important as time goes on. They, the, the, more, the busier his life becomes, it becomes highlighted what a priority this was. In fact, there in your note sheet in Luke chapter 5, Luke says, the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses, he says, but put a circle around that butt there. So he says, hey, as Jesus' popularity is growing, life is getting busier, life is getting crazier. He says, but how did Jesus respond to that craziness? He withdrew right? He withdrew often to lonely places and pray. Why? Why? Because this is where, you know, you, you read through the gospel of John, right? And he's all, Jesus always saying, my teaching is not my own. I got it from the Father. What I do is not my own. I watch my Father. Have you ever wondered, like, where did Jesus, where and when did he get this teaching? My hunch is that a big part of it is this time alone, when he is with the Father, listening for his Father's voice, thinking through his life, thinking through his mission, resisting the unique temptations that he faced, like when they wanted to come and make him king in John John chapter 6. When that happened, you see he immediately goes up and spends the night in prayer. These times are incredibly important. So here's here's the, the question I have for you. How do you think that we can live the life that Jesus lived if we don't do what Jesus did? Like, like how do we think that our hearts can be transformed when we're not following his model of what that transformation requires? And so that may not be for everybody, but I just want to put it out there because I think for, for many of us, we are living at the speed of light. And it is impossible to hear the voice of God consistently when we're living at the speed of light. And if we're not hearing the voice of God in our life, if we're not sensing the Holy Spirit leading, guide us, direct us, if that's not happening, can I tell you, passion will never grow. Because passion grows as we sense the Lord speaking to us, as we sense his presence, as we sense his leading. That's how passion grows. Like nothing ignites passion like that sense of hearing from God. And to hear from God, we need to be seeking these times. Amen. And so Jesus' vision, Jesus models, his, his, he models the life. His passion is for the Father. His, prime, his deepest passions, first love, to know him, to love him, and to please him. He models that, That's the life he calls us to. This is the essence of the eternal life. So the question is, are you pursuing it? Let's pray together. So Father, we come before you, and we... Just pray that right now as we come into your presence, you'll be speaking to us. We pray this week as we ponder these things, as we reflect on these things of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a passionate Christ follower. That This is not the abnormal, this is the normal. This is what you've called us to. It's a life you've modeled. Father, we pray as we worship you now, as we come into your presence, as we sing this song about pursuing we pray you'd meet us here in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen.